We are in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and you have your outline before you. Let's read God's word as we look at it together. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he had told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Let's pray together. Now, O God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It probably goes without saying that communication is essential to any relationship. If you've gotten marriage advice, ever been told these things, communication, communication, communication. Got to learn to communicate with one another. But it's not just for marriage. You can say this is true in relationships at work with your boss, parental relationships with kids. Communicating is what needs to be done so that it works out well. Uh, Communication is essential. What we're looking at here today in our passage is about the fact that the Lord had been silent to Israel. The communication had broken down. The people had not gotten word from the Lord in a long time. We've already talked about this a number of times in our sermons just already, that Samuel follows on the heels of Judges. And Judges is kind of one of the most depressing books in the Bible. And as I was looking back over it this week, it's kind of interesting 
about midway through Judges, the Lord really drops out as a character in the story of Judges. It just goes silent. The Lord reveals himself. He's calling up Judges. But it's like things just go silent. We've hit radio silence. And that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for any relationship. It's not a good thing when the word of God is the word of life. So what we're looking at today is the word returning to Israel. The word of life, communication, reopening up for God's people. As we look at our passage, so you can see from the outline that there's kind of four major sections in this call of Samuel as a prophet. Uh, They're setting the stage, first of all, that Israel needs the word. It's desperate times, actually. This isn't This isn't just sort of, oh, it's nice to have one more prophet. It's that things are quite desperate. We have the hearing of the word of Samuel. He experiences what it's like to hear the word and to begin to live by it. And then the speaking of the word as we end this very chapter about as well. So as we look at verses 3, 1 through 3 here in this first section, needing the word, what this section is all about is giving us a sense of the need, the need of the time, and then contrasting the leadership that's going on here. We've already been hearing hearing about this in the last few sermons. The leadership of Israel is corrupt, and it's causing the whole people to be uh, turning astray. And the need of the time is stated right here in our passage in 1b, the second half of this. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. It's interesting that the word rare here is kind of the word precious in Hebrew. It's where you get the word precious metals. You know, precious metals are precious because they're rare. They're valuable because we don't have a lot of them. Well, the precious word of the Lord is rare in those days. It's silence, silence from the time of judges onward. And the word of the Lord is precious, we might say, because we cannot and we should not take it for granted. You know, as we look at this time, they had the law of Moses. They had the Pentateuch. There was the word of the Lord written So you could say, well, they had that, didn't they? But more is needed in the Word of God. Uh, Explanation is needed to explain God's Word, to teach God's Word to God's people. You might say it this way, new application of God's Word is needed. You know, sometimes if you've had this experience reading this book and you think, how does this apply to me? Larry's going to speak on this this week. Well, that's needed. God needs to raise up people who can help apply this to our lives. We can look at this and we can say, I see how this means something to me, how it's relevant for my life right now. The Bible often ties seeing to hearing, hearing and seeing. So the prophets are often called seers, seers they can see. I think that the sense of that is they, they come before the Lord, the Lord reveals himself, they see the Lord, they hear the word, and then they can give the word to God's people, bring the word to the world. But the key thing in this is that God doesn't need to talk to us. Do you know that? God doesn't need to talk to us in the sense he doesn't owe it to us. We don't have to sort of uh, twist his arm to speak to us, especially if we're not listening. God is right, and he is sovereign, and he can do what he wants with his word. And when we stop listening, it's his prerogative to say, no more speech. You don't trust God's word. You don't give yourself to God's word. God doesn't then need to talk to us. But it's a terrible thing when God stops speaking, when his word is absent. You might remember from the prophets, it's Amos the prophet, that God says he's going to send a famine to Israel. But it's not a famine of crops. It's a famine of the word of God. 
There's going to be no speaking. There's going to be no applying God's word, giving it to God's people. You know, I think as I think back to the, Larry and I have often had conversations about 2020 and onward and the sort of shakeup of our world with COVID and church and what that's meant. You might think about it this way. What's the most terrible thing that's come out of COVID? Suffering and death is obviously a part of that. And as Christians, we can lament that. We can lament the fact that people were separated and all those things. Perhaps one of the things that was most terrible out of COVID is the silencing and silence of the churches. Silencing God's word at times. Unable to preach God's word so that people can hear, know what God uh, speaks to the world. And we know what God says to us. Here in the book of Samuel, this speaking, this silence of God is in a sense both simultaneously a punishment because of sin And in a sense, it also results in sin. It's actually both of those things. A punishment for sin and the fact that when God removes his word from his people, people are left to their own. Remember Judges, the phrase we've already talked about in Judges, uh, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. God's word is great and precious, and when he doesn't speak, its judgment is terrible. We also look here at the the contrast of the succession of leadership The word of God is rare in those days. That's the desperation of the times. But here we have, interestingly, some key phrases where Eli and Samuel are contrasted together. Look at verse 1. It says, now the boy or the young man, Samuel, is probably a word that describes something like he's not just a little child, but he's not a full-grown man yet. We can sort of connect this to Jesus being 12 years old, going to the temple, as we heard read. So we have this young man, Samuel, is ministering to the Lord, under Eli. He's coming into his own. First, notice the contrast, we might say, with Eli's sons with Samuel. This is implicit. We've already been hearing about Eli's sons and what they've done. We hear it again here that the Eli didn't restrain them from their blasphemy, from their sinful ways. But we have Samuel, almost like an adopted son, who's doing the right thing, the faithful son who's been adopted into Eli, ministering to the Lord under Eli. Samuel's a faithful son, a son of Eli. You might say a son of the Lord, too, not like the natural sons that Eli has. Look at verses 2 and 3. We have an interesting contrast between Eli's description of who Eli is, which in one way sense is just a physical description of his uh, age and those things, uh, but it's a larger symbolic picture, it seems, of what's going on with Eli as well. Eli is near blind. And at the same time, we're told that there's no vision in Israel. So no, no vision or lack of vision from Eli. No vision in Israel. And then Samuel's about to receive a vision. You see the contrast in all of these things. Eli's eyes are dimming, we're told. It says they're going out. It's kind of an interesting phrase in the Bible that uh, the light of the eyes, the Bible talks about. Well, Eli's light of his eyes are going out. It's dimming. And immediately we're told that the lamp of God is dimming. It hadn't yet gone out. So we have a contrast here between Eli's eyes and the lamp of God in the holy place. The lampstand, if you remember, the tabernacle was a tent that God had told Israel to make where they would meet with him, where they would worship and offer sacrifices and forgiveness would take place. Well, the lamp of God, the lampstand, was in the holy place, the first kind of part of that tent. Um, And it was a picture of God's light, the light for Israel, that God was lighting the way in the darkness. But we have this kind of ominous statement, and yet maybe hopeful as well, the lamp of God had not yet 
gone out. Well, the problem with that is it's not ever supposed to go out. If you read Exodus, a number of times the Lord says to the priests never to let the lamp of God go out. They're always supposed to be trimming the wicks and adding the oil to the lampstand is, again, a sign of God's light that's always burning and blazing. God is a God of light. But here we say we're told that it has not yet gone out. So we're both getting the sense of the desperation of the time and that perhaps there's still a glimmer of hope yet. It hasn't yet gone out because we have Samuel here faithful to the Lord. Seeing in the Bible is often connected to spiritual discernment. So the idea is that you can discern things in your sight. We can still use that as well. I'm not seeing things clear in my life. We might say I'm in a fog, those kinds of things. Well, Sam, uh, Eli is in a spiritual fog, and it's matched by his eyesight on the outside. Remember Eli back from chapter 1 when Hannah is praying before the Lord. She's pouring out her soul before the Lord. And Eli says, what are you doing, drunk woman? He's not even able to see that such a woman here is praying to the Lord, pouring her soul out. He's not able to see what's going on with his sons. He doesn't have spiritual discernment to see this is wrecking the people of God by what he's allowing to happen. It's interesting that when we turn to the next chapter that Larry will look at, we're told that Eli is entirely blind. So we have a kind of progression here in Eli's eyesight and what's going on in the people of God in Israel. Eli is said to be lying in his own place. Look at that as well. Uh, this is uh, in verse. This is in verse uh, verse three here that Eli, sorry, that Eli is lying in his own place in verse two, and Samuel is lying at the temple of the Lord. Again, we have another contrast that's kind of pointing out the difference is here. I mean, again, this is a physical description, but it's giving us a sense of kind of behind the scenes spiritually what's going on. Samuel's probably not actually lying in the Holy of Holies. I used to have a kid's uh, Bible book that, you know, Samuel's kind of wrapped up in his sleeping bag, lying like literally in front of the Ark of God. Uh, the text seems to indicate something like that, but we know from Scripture that only the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies. So this is probably not the case, but what the text is doing is describing Samuel as close to the Lord. He's at the temple where God's ark is. He's close to the Lord. He's, he is there in God's presence while Eli seems to be apart from God in this. We're meant to think about how close Samuel is, and Eli yet is drifting farther away. So this is our opening chapter, desperate, dark time, but hope for the future. This next section, we have the hearing of God's word. We're introduced to the calls of Samuel uh, they first reveal to us Samuel's devotion to Eli. You can hear that and immediately running to Eli and saying, here I am, I'm ready to do your will to Eli, despite Eli's own troubles and weaknesses as a leader. Uh, but the calls are going to be about Samuel, these calls coming out from under Eli's leadership to be under the Lord himself. He's coming out from this leadership, this old leadership of Eli, and he is going to lead God's people in a new way, in a new dawn. We're told here that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, verse 7. This doesn't seem to be in terms of salvation. We can hear that and think, well, does Samuel not honestly have any kind of relationship with the Lord? We're probably not thinking about it in those evangelical terms, but in terms of his vocation, the next phrase there helps us understand that. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel's ministering in the temple, 
He is learning from Eli, but he has not yet heard the word of the Lord. He's not been revealed to this as a prophet. And we can see the patience of the Lord even in calls to Israel, to Samuel in this. It's interesting, three times this call comes. He doesn't sort of say, oh, you didn't get it the first time. I'm done with you. There's a patience in the Lord. It's reminding us of the patience of the Lord with God's people. You might remember, too, there's a similarity to the Moses, call of Moses. Remember when God called Moses out of the burning bush and says, Moses, Moses, name twice. And Moses says, here I am. We're getting a sense that Samuel is going to be called up like Moses. In fact, Samuel's the second named prophet after Moses is the next one. So Samuel is going to be a great prophet. And we're all hinting at this here. And verse 10 gives us a very interesting phrase when it says, that the Lord came and revealed himself to Samuel, it says, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times. This is reminding us of the Lord's closeness to Israel. He comes, even as the angel of the Lord comes. This is not just a sort of shadowy dream. This is a direct vision. The Lord is appearing to Samuel in this. And this is the Lord's message. He says, behold, I am about to do a thing. He goes on to describe what he's about to do. Literally, the word here is, I am about to do a word. This is telling us all about the word of God who does things with words. Think back to Genesis 1. The Lord spoke and it happened. Let there be light. And there was light. See, God does things with his words. His word is powerful. God upholds the universe by the word of God of his power. So the Lord says, I am going to do a word. I'm going to enact this word against Eli, and it's going to change things. It's going to shake up things. God's going to drop a bomb in Israel, and it's going to go off. And if you've ever had tingling ears from a loud noise, uh, it's interesting that the phrase here is often used with lightning uh, as well. So if you've ever had it where lightning has crashed around you, you can almost feel the sort of the, the static in the air, and it gives you a tingling in your ear. The Lord is about to shine his light. He's about to strike Israel in a special way. And he's giving, he reiterates the words from the man of God from the last chapter against Eli. Remember, the, the, the word of a man of God had come to Eli, had told him what was going on with his sons. Eli gives a kind of general rebuke to his sons, like, why are you doing this? But he doesn't do anything this. But now the Lord, he says, I am going to judge, literally judge Eli's house. It's interesting, the Lord had raised up judges, but now himself he is coming as the judge. Because his sons lightly esteemed, that's the word blaspheme, they've lightly esteemed God and their position. They didn't take it as weighty. Again, have we, there's a sense of asking ourselves, have we considered the word of God weighty? as a weighty thing, given weight to when God speaks, given weight to God's glory. The iniquity, he says, shall not be atoned by sacrifice or offering. There's a good in that. That is that normally iniquity is atoned by sacrifice and offering. The Lord has given means to Israel as a way to find forgiveness, but he says, not here. Because the sacrifices of the Old Testament were not magic talismans, Israel often treated them that way. We're going to see that even the next chapter, how they treated things around them. But the sacrifices were a way, an expression of a faithful heart. That the sacrifice, the ritual, the action is to be matched by a heart 
that is trusting the Lord, that by doing this, I'm trusting the Lord to receive his forgiveness and his mercy. But here the Lord says to Samuel to pass along to Eli, no sacrifice, no atonement here in this. They're too far gone. They have not turned to the Lord yet in these things. As we think about this section here, God's word is good even when it has bad news in it. It's good even when it has bad news because if you've ever been a cancer patient, if you ever think about those kinds of situations in which, all right, doctor, tell it to me straight. What needs to happen? You don't want someone in those situations to fudge it, to not say what the really bad news is because how are we going to treat this if you don't tell me really what things are bad? The Lord is going to judge because he's going to bring salvation. He's going to sweep away evil so that he might bring his blessing in this. And that's also the case for us when we think about God's word. Preaching sermons like this are never fun. It's more fun to preach the passages that are all about the good news that we have. But God says hearing the bad news is good. It's part of hearing God's word. Can we hear when God has a rebuke for us? The Proverbs tell us, that a wise person is someone who can hear a rebuke, but the fool who says, I, I can't even hear a bad word. I'm not going to listen to it. See, part of the good news is that there's judgment on evil. Evil doesn't have the last say. And that's true for even our own lives. And God comes here speaking this word so that the good news might come. Jesus came calling repentance. Our Savior who brought the gospel out of his lips, the first thing he says is repent, for the time is at hand. Repent, turn. Turn from the bad and hear the good. We have in the next section that Samuel's experiencing of the word. I don't know if that's the best uh, word to describe this, but Samuel is going to, for the first time, experience what it's like to hear this word and, in a sense, to process it. And we see this with Samuel's initial reluctance to relay the message. Samuel says, lay there until morning. Uh, he didn't go straight back to Eli, rushing to tell him uh, the uh, message that God has given him. And then we're even told directly that Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. It's a good reminder to me, modern people are not the only people who struggled with the wrath of God. This goes all the way back. God's wrath, God's judgment is never something that's easy to hear. And Samuel says, I don't want to have to tell this to Eli. He struggles with it. He's processing it. But in between those statements, we have this phrase as well that's interesting. Samuel opened the doors of the house of the Lord. It's again a kind of symbolic picture. The house is dark. The lamp is almost going out. The God's word is silent. But here Samuel opens the house of the Lord. And we actually tell, it tells us that he does this in mourning. It's like kind of at the dawn, the dawning of a day, a new day, a day of the Lord that's coming for wrath, for judgment, but for God's blessing and salvation as well. The scene uh, up until this point has been telling us a lot of times Eli is at the doorway. At the doorway is when he sees Hannah. Uh, we have uh, Eli's sons are, are sleeping with women at the doorway. Doorway stuff is going on here at the beginning of Samuel, and Samuel here is opening the doorway for people to come in the house of the Lord at the beginning of the day, light shining in this. This is God's way to bring restoration. To Eli's credit, uh, he asks Samuel to tell him. He says, tell me this message. Doesn't seem like he's too far gone. Perhaps Eli has something 
that he still can experience in this. And this is Samuel's first experience in speaking God's word. He has wrestled with this, but he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to be gracious and fudge it in this way. It says he told him everything that the Lord had said. And Eli's response is interesting here. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's hard to read these words. Is this a faithful acceptance? Does Eli, in a sense, faithfully realizing his own mistakes and, in a sense, repenting of them? Or is this kind of a callousness? Oh, it's the Lord. Let the Lord do what's good to him. We're not exactly sure about Eli in this. We'll have to wait to see what happens more with Eli. But we have Samuel's growth as a contrast to that. The Lord reveals himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. God reveals himself by his word. I think that the sense of this section here is we have to let God's word rule us. We have to hear these pages. We have to hear the preaching of the word in the church here or other churches, and we have to listen to God's word. Let it change us, grow us, even the difficult parts. It's so often, particularly it seems like in our modern world, to sort of push the, the parts we don't like aside. But Samuel here is telling us what a faithful servant of God's word is when God calls us to do these things. We are to hear God's word and to let it change us, let it lead us to knowledge of God. Well, this chapter actually ends, in a sense, you might say, with the first verse of the next chapter. Chapter visions come much later. And this seems to wrap up the rest of this story. Samuel has, we've seen the need for God's word, and he's heard it, he's experienced it. But now we actually have Samuel himself giving the word. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. We've heard about the word of the Lord, now we have the word of Samuel. Not that Samuel is speaking his own word that's not the Lord's, but it's now become a part of him, you might say, and he's speaking, and it's going out to all of Israel. We have, again, the beginning of restoration for God's people. And as we think about this, as we will go through Samuel, Samuel's a lot about what God does in desperate times and dark times. He calls up leaders. He brings salvation. But ultimately, even Samuel, the story of Samuel sort of falls flat. We don't have an ultimate savior in the story of Samuel. So all of this is pointing us, reminding us to the fact that the word ultimately was made flesh. The word of the Lord came as a person. Everything that God wanted to say is there in Jesus Christ. It's interesting, I didn't know that one of the, uh, the readings we would do for today, but so relevant, is from Hebrews 1. God spoke in the past in many different ways, in many different forms, but now he has spoken in his son. The last word to be spoken. Everything that God has wanted to say summed up in the coming of the word made flesh. We see it even in uh, is the own story of the gospel, that Jesus is in the temple, in his father's house, growing in grace. Even the Lord who grew in grace, grew in favor, grew by the word of the Lord and that he is the message in person. Well, where does that leave us today? It leaves us, are we trusting the word of God? Things do often look desperate or dark sometimes around us in our culture, even in our churches. Like I said, the silence of churches to preach God's word, of Christians who call themselves Christians yet are far from God's word and accepting all that God has to say for us. So what about us here at Florida Coast? Do we trust God's word? Are we ready to say, here I am, speak, your servant is listening. Listening to God's word, 
ready to hear all that he has to say for us, whether that's in judgment, whether that's in salvation, whatever it is for us, hearing the whole counsel of God's word. May it be so of us that we trust God's word and that the word comes to us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together and ask God's blessing. Father, we thank you that in the story you have sent your word to your servant Samuel, but we thank you most of all that you sent your son, the word made flesh for us, the word eternal who has come for us to be our savior. Father, we ask as we think about this passage that you would cause us to have open ears to hear, that you call us and that we are listening. Father, let your word do its work in this world. Let it go forth and have its reign so that many people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ to experience his salvation. Father, we ask of this in his name. Amen.